Now, if you're joining us, the second week of our series, which we've entitled Divine Direction. And there's a book with the same title written by Craig Rochelle. We commend it to you. It's a great book to read. Uh, if you'd open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, it's also going to be on the, on the screen. As a matter of fact, uh, we're going to invite everybody to stand. If you're able to stand, we're just going to read it together off the screen. Uh, so just look at the screen that is closest to you. And with a loud voice, uh, let's read it together. All right, let's go. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Shout amen. amen. Please be seated. Lord, we need you to be miraculously present, not just with us. We already know you're present, but work miracles in our minds and our hearts. Uh, all of us, including the one preaching and teaching today, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, uh, let's get started. Here's the big question that we're trying to essentially answer with this series. It says, uh, what does it look like for my life to be guided and directed by God? What does, what does a life guided and directed by God, what does that life look like? Now, uh, Last week, I gave you some homework. Everybody shout homework. If you were with us last week, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand to show that you actually did it. Because I, I, uh, uh, <laughs> but one of your homework pieces was to read Hebrews chapter 11, the whole chapter. You can take the whole week to do that. Everybody shout Hebrews 11. All right, now here's what you would have discovered by way of quick review, just catching everybody up is that if you zoom in on Hebrews chapter 11, you'll discover, beginning at verse 3, one story after the other story after the other story after the other story. And it is a simple reminder to us, as we start the year 2018 off, that all of us and each of us are in the middle, our lives are, in fact, unfinished stories. And the meaning and ending of our unfinished stories have yet to be determined. Now, here's some good news inside of that. Perhaps you started the year off thinking, feeling like you were successful. Others started the year off feeling like, well, I was semi-successful and all over the place. The good news is this. You and I get to participate to have a huge role in shaping what the meaning and the ending of our life story will be. And you and I get to figure out how big a role we'll allow God to play in the shaping of that story. Our unfinished story. Everybody shout stories. 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 So that's if you zoom in on the readings of chapter 11. If you zoom out... Here's a couple of quick insights you'll recognize. First, every vignette, every story begins with the word uh, uh, by faith. Everybody shout by faith. By faith, by faith. faith. It reminds us that if you want to unleash fully God's direction in your life, you have to adopt the posture of faith. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews in verse 3 puts it this way. It says, by faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, and that what we now see did not come from what is seen. In other words, we begin in a place of faith 
that God exists and that God wants to be active in our lives. And remember I said last week, you don't have to understand everything about God in order to trust God. And somebody shout trust. A word, that's what we're talking about, trusting God. That's the first insight that pops out as you zoom out. The second insight that pops out as you zoom out is that, that what looked like disconnected individuals, individual by faith stories, shout by faith, the teaching here is you got you to be willing to live a by faith life. These individual by faith stories, when you zoom out, you discover that they have been worked by God into a larger narrative. At first, it looks like the unfolding of the nation of Israel history. But the writer of Hebrews says, no, stretch it back further. And what you really see is the unfolding of God's story working its way through the nation of Israel that comes into uh, definition and meaning really in the person of Jesus Christ. So you flip over and start reading chapter 12 and you get to verse 2. And you started in chapter 11 with by faith. And in verse 2 of chapter 12, it says, fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of your faith. The whole definition of life, if you will, God's story comes into being, comes into focus in Jesus. And our relationship with Jesus lines us up to have our stories to be a part of God's story. Now, here's where it gets exciting for me. You remember last week we talked about verse 23. It talks about Moses' parents. And there's two things we know about Moses' parents by reading verse 23 of Hebrews 11. The first thing we know about Moses' parents is that they're both slaves. Everybody shout slaves. We know that. And if you go to Numbers 26, verse 59, you'll find the names of his parents. And you'll figure out that Miriam, his sister, and Aaron, his brother, they were already much older than him, 12 years plus older than him, and, and they existed. But, but reading through the lens of the Hebrew writer, he, in a sense, helps us to see them the way the Egyptians saw them. Watch this. As slaves, is the first thing we know. And then as unnamed, overlooked insignificant people in the world's of the eye, in the, in, the, in, the, in the world's eye, insignificant people, insignificant. But by the time we finish reading the story, here's what we learn. Those who appear to be unnamed, unimportant, and insignificant in the eyes of the world can become incredibly important in God's story. Tell the person next to you, I think he's talking about me. I, th I think he's talking about me. <laughs> All right, now here, 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 here's what we're going to have an intersection. Shout, slaves. It's Moses' parents were slaves. Now, this weekend, we are celebrating Martin Luther King's birthday. And, and I always, I love to come to this point annually. Here's why. Dr. Martin Luther King is not simply Dr. Martin Luther King. He's Reverend 
Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You know what that means? That means that he is a... shirt you give him your t-shirt if a soldier makes you go one mile you choose to go two miles and that's Jesus way of saying here's how you break the cycle of violence and then you remember Jesus says uh, you have heard it said before this is the teachings of Jesus you've heard it said before love your neighbors and hate your enemies but I say to you Jesus declared love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and Dr. King just took those teachings of Jesus and transformed them into this non-violent principle now here's the point I, I take time to point that out because here's the bigger point the work of justice in the world is God's work. Ask the person next to you, did you hear him? The work of justice in the world is God's work and ought to be led by God's people. That gets me. I, I like that. Now, uh, in, in, in his first book, Strive Towards Freedom, the Montgomery story, Dr. King writes, the first book he wrote. And he describes that the movement that started in Montgomery, watch this, listen to me, didn't start in some secular hall. That actually it was nurtured in what they call mass meetings. And the mass meetings occurred on Monday and Thursday night weekly. And it was full start at 7, but by 5 o'clock, these mass meetings occurred in these big churches. And by 5 o'clock, the churches begin to fill up. And, 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 and they, they launched off with singing, just like we had worship time just here. That's how they would start off, with worship. And then they'd have scripture reading. They'd have prayer. And they'd talk about strategy a little bit. And then a preacher would get up, and he would take the teachings of Jesus, and he would give what they call a pep talk. He would inspire people to seek to be Jesus followers in the movement do you see God at work doing the work of justice and the people call now here's the connection with Moses parents slaves how God takes no named overlooked insignificant people in the world's eye and uses them to rewrite history here's what Dr. King wrote uh, in uh, in, in that first book about those mass meetings. Here's what he writes. He says, the mass meetings also cut across class lines. The vast majority present were working people, shout working people. Yet there was always an appreciable number of professionals in the audience. Uh, physicians and teachers and lawyers sat or stood beside 
domestic workers and unskilled laborers. These domestic workers were maids and butlers and janitors and chauffeurs and ditch diggers. These, these, these unskilled workers, watch this, no-named, unimportant, insignificant in the eyes of the world. Watch what he says. The PhDs and the no-Ds were bound together in a common venture. Come on, let's give God a hand praise. Isn't that pretty amazing? All right, here's the point. Just like Moses' parents, here's the point. God took inside of that movement butlers and maids and, and, and in the words of Dr. King, no deeds, the insignificant, the unknown. Uh, uh, Rosa Parks was a seamstress who worked in a department store. He took these regular, everyday, overlooked people, oppressed people, and he raised them up and made them a part of his redemptive story that changed the world. And if he did it with them, that God says in Jesus Christ, I want to do it with you. Let me ask you, is there anyone in here who feels overlooked? Is there anyone in here who feels insignificant? Is there anyone here who feels unimportant? I want you to hear God declare, uh, I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. I want to use your life. You say, you may say, well, Pastor, you just don't know me. I'm barely out of recovery. God says, I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or think. I want to use your life. Let me in your story. You say, well, I'm a single parent. And, and and I have limited resources. And God says, I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. Let me into your story. You say, well, I'm elderly and, and I, don't, I can't walk like I used to. I'm a young teenager and nobody understands me. And God says, I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. Let me into your story and I'll make you an indispensable part of my story. That's the good news of the gospel. That's illustrated in God taking slaves, Moses' parents, and rewriting history. It's illustrated in God taking the grandchildren of slaves in the civil rights movement and shifting the trajectory of the world as we know it. And he wants to do it for you. If you let him in your story. Now, when we look at Moses, I backed into this verse 24. Put it, put it back on here. This, 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 I love 24 because 24 frames, begins the next several verses highlighting four decisions, shout four decisions, that Moses makes that allows God to not only dramatically change his life, but change the world around him, through him. We're only going to look at one today. And I remind you that if you want to allow God to direct your life, that not only must you have a posture of faith, and you don't need a lot of faith, just the faith the size of a mustard seed. Come on, shout, a little faith will do. A little faith, a little faith, right? Uh, uh, not only must you have the posture of faith, but you need to remember that more often than not, God directs us at the intersections of our decisions. It's, it's right when you need to make decisions. That's where God is at work. Four decisions Moses made. 
want to watch one. I want to look at one today. All right, let's revisit what, what the writer says about Moses here in verse 24. It says, by faith, shout by faith. In other words, based on his trust in God. Listen to this. This is a big deal what he does. Moses, when he had grown up, refused, shout refuse. If you've got that in your iPad or something, circle it, highlight it, you know. Everybody shout refuse. Refuse to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, this is a big deal. All right, let's split it. Let's break it up. Notice it says, based on his trust in God, he couldn't have done it otherwise. Based on his trust in God, when he had grown up. What this means is that there was a season in Moses' life somewhere between his childhood and at some point in his adulthood when he did not mind being known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Acts 7 verse 22 makes it clear for us. In Acts 7 verse 22, the writer puts it this way. Here's what he says. He says, Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians. In other words, he was educated in Egyptian schools. He most likely spoke multiple languages. He was trained in the art of war. He was trained in the principles of governance. Uh, he was in line, third in line to become Pharaoh. So he was taught in all the wisdoms of Egyptians as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he was powerful, shout powerful, in both speech and action. We know that doesn't mean he was eloquent in speech because we learned later that he had, a, he had a stuttering challenge. But what it means is that when Moses said something, he had the authority to back it up. He was powerful in speech and action. So for a season, he didn't mind being seen as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But then, we don't know what, it came to a point where Moses stopped. Everybody shout, stopped. 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 We don't know what it is. Most likely, this is part of what happens. You see, Moses' mother, birth mother, was brought into the Pharaoh's daughter's home to nurse him. And most likely, she remained as a, as a, a nanny and as a maid for Pharaoh's daughter. And I suspect, as she was helping to raise her own son, I suspect she said something like this over the period of his, his growing up days. Uh, uh, don't get confused. Don't, don't, don't get confused by all this power. Don't you get confused by all this sophisticated education. Don't you get confused by all this wealth. Don't you get confused by this track that you own. I need to remind you that from the moment you were born, God confirmed in my heart that he, 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 he had a different story for you. He, he did not plan for you to become the oppressor of your people. That God has called you from birth not to be an oppressor, but to be the liberator of your people. Don't get confused. God's got something better for you. All right, now let me ask you, what's the whisper in your spirit? What is it that God's been calling you to do that you've been ignoring, that you've been ignoring, that you've been putting off? Is it time for you to stop? Everybody shall stop. I talked to a young lady today, a, a lady today who said that she heard this message at 
30, and it frightened her. And she said the reason it frightened her is that she's been in this particular job for about 15 years. It's a well-paying job. It's all good. She said, but recently, over the last several months, she's been feeling mm, unease. She's been feeling dissatisfied. She, she, she's been feeling a kind of anxiousness about her job. And as she listened to the message, it became clear to her that the uneasiness that she's been feeling was really God whispering to her. It's time to stop this. I've got something else for you. And the problem when you start listening to God is that when you listen to God, come on now, it says by faith. When you listen to God, it always requires you to take a step of what? And it's frightening. Come on, tell the person next to you, I think he's talking to me. I just don't want to admit it. Come on, tell, tell. <laughs> Everybody shout, stop. I got a call from my son. It's the best call I've ever gotten from him. And I, 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 I love him, great calls, but this was the top. He called me last week, and, and we'd been working with him back and forth. And finally, he called to say, Dad, it's done Tuesday. That's two days from now. He's going to. Go back to school. He's going to take his first set of classes. Now go ahead and celebrate that. That's a good dude. I got all the finances, all that stuff straightened out. And, 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 and what he was saying to me, listen, what he was saying to me was, was, was that for six years, and me and his mom, we haven't bothered him about it. We just have blessed him and affirmed him and he's been holding down his job. He's been taking care of himself. But, but what Jonathan ultimately acknowledged is that there was something in him that wouldn't let him rest and that, and that he just kept hearing this notion I use the word this whisper and, 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 and it kept painting the picture of how his story was supposed to end and what the meaning of his story was supposed to be and, 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 and finally he could not ignore because he, he his, his story for his, from his perspective is he's a dad you know I I want to go for the next year and I want to become certified mechanic and, 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 and I, want to, I want to live uh, the next season of my life. Ultimately, I want to own a gas station and I want to serve God and serve people by fixing people cars and helping them send them on their way. That's how he sees God shaping his story. And Finally, he couldn't ignore that whisper and he took a step of what? And he's in class on Tuesday. But then, that excited me. But what he told me next really excited me. Uh, you listening? Listen, here's what he said. He said, and daddy, he said, I'm letting you know that for the next six months, somebody say stop. For the next six months, I'm going to stop social media. Now, is there anything wrong with social media? No, 
No. Is there anything illegal? No. Is there anything sinful? No. But, 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 but what Jonathan realized was that social media has the tendency, come on now, of stealing valuable time. It has the tendency of distracting him from the ultimate story that God is trying to get him to write. And so he, he says, basically what he's saying, I hear God say, stop, and I'm going to stop. Shout stop. What's God telling you to stop? What is it? What is it? Is, is it in your relationship God is saying, stop, or you're not going to like how your story ends? What is it in how you handle money that God is saying, stop, or you're not going to like how your story ends? What is it in how you treat your health that God is saying, stop, or you're not going to like how your story ends? Let me give you a clue to how to get there. When you find yourself saying, if I continue to do, Come on, let's practice. Come on, say it with me. If I continue to do blank, I'm not going to like how my story ends. You fill in the blank. You fill in the blank. All right. That's the macro point. God is saying to somebody, stop. Now, right now as I talk, somebody knows exactly what it is. You know what you ought to just write, get your pen out and just write it on the back of your bulletin. Right now, what it is that you need to stop. And then you just need to acknowledge, you know what, most likely I can't stop by myself. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we need God and people. Shout God and people. Yeah, yeah. So what you mean is okay, I'm making a commitment. Now let me go find some books to read. Let me go find a therapist to get with. Let me go join a small group so I can get some peer support because I need God and people. But I'm going to start right now by saying I'm going to stop. I'm making a commitment right now. Everybody shall stop. Well, let's go a little deeper. That's the macro point. Let's narrow it. Well, look at what Moses does, what he stops specifically. It says, it says that he refused, after he got grown, to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Here's what it means. Listen. It means that Moses came to a point where he decided to stop allowing other people and anything else to define his life but the purposes of God. Everybody shall stop. Who are you allowing to define your life? Can you imagine Moses saying to his, his to Pharaoh's daughter, his stepmom, I'm no longer going to be considered your child. I, I, I want to identify with the Hebrew slaves, no longer with the, with the power of Egypt. Can you imagine him telling that to his colleagues? Can you imagine him telling that to his step-grandfather? I know I'm third in line, but, but I'm giving all that up. I Count me among the slaves. I'm sure at some point he was thinking, what will my colleagues say? What will my stepmom say? What will my grandfather say? How will they begin to view me but at some point he concluded you know what I really don't care and here's how I know he concluded it because the verse starts with these words by faith by trusting God he declared it's more important for me to pursue God's purposes than people's purposes you know some of you are allowing the voice of dead people to limit your life 
They, they said way back then, you'll never be anybody. You'll never be, you'll never be mouth anything. And you're allowing those voices to find your life. Some of you are allowing the voice of your, your parents. You know, your father wants you to, 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 to actually go to school, make lots of money. But in your heart, you feel called to a, a ministry, to an impact in society where the, where the money will be low, but the value will be high. But you won't do it because... Somebody else is defining your life. And the message is stop letting other people define your life. Let God define it. All right, let me give you an example, and we'll hustle through here. When I was in Boston, I um, had a young man in my church. Straight-A student until he hit 10th grade. When he hit the 10th grade, took a nosedive. C, C minuses, D pluses, Ds. Grandparents, mama said, speak to him, pastor, because they knew my history. And I used to be a messed up student that God straightened out. So I talked to him. And in the conversation, he acknowledged. He said, pastor, it's not that I can't do the work. He could do the work. But if he would continue to be an A student, the little group that he wanted to be a part of wouldn't let him be a part. They wouldn't let him sit at the lunch table. They wouldn't let him play with him because they were C minor students. And, 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 and he wanted the popularity of being a part of them. So in order to be a part of them, he decided that he would dumb down to fit in. Now, now, how many of you are dumbing down to fit in? Now, I, I, I hear somebody saying, oh, Pastor, I, that doesn't apply to me. I've been a 4.0 student when I was in school. I'm working for Google, et cetera, et cetera. I'm, uh, you know, I don't dumb down. Well, let me just ask you a question. You know, you, have you noticed at Google how they put everything to keep you there? They, got, they, they wash your clothes. Come on now. They keep your kids. They got bicycles for you to go do your exercise on. And the message is just stay here all day and all night. Now, if you get seduced into that 14, 15-hour culture and allow your family to fall apart, you are dumbing down to fit in. All right. All right, all right, let me just give you another sentence. Somebody has made the decision so that she will go out with me. I'm going to compromise my values. You're dumbing down to fit in. Somebody else, somebody else, you know you trust Jesus. You know you believe. You know you come to church. But when you get around your friends who are unbelievers, you pretend like you're an unbeliever too. You dumb down to fit in. God is saying to somebody, shout Stop. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Stop dumbing down the fit in. Let other folk define your life. Only the purpose is God, man. Now, here's, here's, here's this other piece. Some of us are not defined by people, listen, but we're defined by past experiences. It's some trauma, some tragedy that occurred so deeply in our lives. And we're spending our time thinking about who we could have been. Upset with God, where were you? Why did you not stop it? Where, what, 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 what happened? And, 
And I told you yesterday that while God is all-powerful, he refuses to be all-controlling. That means he doesn't control, he, he chooses not to control everything. That's where we get light and dark. That's where we get good and evil and all that stuff comes up in that space. Now, let me tell you a story uh, uh, Bethany Hamilton, one of my favorite stories, maybe because she shares my last name, I don't know. <laughs> but she was a preteen surfing star. 2003, she was 13 years old. She was hanging out on a surfboard just with a water hand in the water. And a shark came up and grabbed her arm at the shoulder and snatched it off. She lost 60% of her blood. Bethany was a believer. At five years old, she became a Jesus follower. And, 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 and here she was. This tragedy comes out of nowhere and goes off her arm. Now, Bethany could have concluded, I don't know what God, she could have been upset and and she could have just spent the rest of her life thinking about how she could have been a great surfer, but not Bethany. Uh, 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 she, she, she's reminded, this is what I like about one philosopher who says, I don't understand how God would uh, set me loose in a world that's full of so much evil and suffering, but at least God did not exempt himself from the same rules. And what she meant was that Jesus showed up and he ends up on a cross and he goes through the worst tragedy of tragedy to remind us that God is with us in our tragedy and then he gets up on the other side, come on now, to declare that I don't care what tragedy comes into your life, I don't care how horrendously wounded you you have been and I know that many of us have been horrendously 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 wounded and I affirm that right now but Jesus declares that there is no tragedy no trauma has the power to ruin your life without your permission and your participation And, 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 and Bethany understood that. And so one month later, y'all, one month, shout one month. One month later, she was back on the surfboard and she, she taught herself how to surf with one arm. Some of us need to teach ourselves how to surf with one arm, y'all. And, and, and she went on and a year later, she became the international teenage champion in the world. And she proved that through Christ, all things are possible. Life can knock me down, but with him, I can rise again. I empathize with your trouble. Some of you have lived through stuff I can't imagine. But I just need you to hear God say, that tragedy, that trauma does not have to ruin your story. I can redeem it. Everybody say, there's a cost, shout, there's a cost. All right, here's where I want to end this thing. You know, I ended with Dr. King here. And, uh, and most of us have forgotten or we don't know that the year that Dr. King died, he was not as popular as he is now. As a matter of fact, he was at an all-time low in his popularity. And here's the reason. 63 hits his pinnacle when he gives the I Have a Dream speech. 64... And five, there's some ups and downs, some victories. 
66, he begins to wrestle with what he felt was the whispering of God that he needed to speak out on the Vietnam War. And his advisor says, if you do, you have the ear of President Johnson. The moment you do, he's not going to return your calls. And the movement needs you to have the, have the president return your calls. And other folks say, if you do, if you do. Uh, people who are writing checks in the North, they're going to label you as unpatriotic, and the money's going to dry up. If you do, if you do, the movement is going to split, and you're going to create space for these young rabble-rousers to get to control and leadership of the movement. But nevertheless, uh, one year to the date that he died, in, in, in April 4th, 1967, in, in, in Riverside Church in New York, he stood up and he spoke out against the Vietnam War and, 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 and the tragedy that was befalling our soldiers and all of that. And, and, and exactly what had been suggested, all that stuff happened. He plummeted in his popularity. The president wouldn't return his call. The movement splintered. Young people said he was a, a relic of the past. And he was at an all-time low in his popularity. And again, I like how he... in the last sermon that he gave at Ebenezer Baptist Church towards the end of it, two months to the day of his death, uh, February the 4th, 67, 68. Here's what he says. And, and, and in short, I want you to see this. He, he, he opened the window and he let you kind of figure out how he made his decisions. He's basically like Jonathan. He was thinking about how I want my story to end. And, and he, he, here's what he says. Here's what he says. He says, he says, he says, he says, essentially, uh, if any of you are around on the day that I meet my maker, uh, tell them I don't want a long film. And tell the person who does the eulogy, tell him not to talk too long. And tell him, tell him not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That's not important. Tell him. Not to mention the three or four hundred other awards that I have. That's not important. Tell him not to mention where I went to school. That's not important. He says, on, the day, on that day, I just want, I want somebody to say that Martin Luther King Jr. gave his life trying to serve others. On, on that day, I, I want somebody to say that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. On that day, I want somebody to say that, that I tried to be right on the war question. I, I did try to feed the hungry. I did try to visit those that were in prison. I did try to serve humanity. And he went on to say, he went on to say, you know what? I won't have a lot of money to leave behind, but I want to leave a committed life behind. Now, listen, Dr. King wasn't perfect. Come on now. Just like none of us are perfect, but he was a follower of Jesus. And he reminds us, listen, y'all, that, 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 that while we may not all have money and power and all that stuff, Every one of us can leave a committed life behind. Every one of us can leave a life that reflects the purposes of God. And I love how he ended that thing. He said, he said, if you want to call me a drum major, call me a drum major for justice. Call me a drum major for peace. Call me a drum major for righteousness. And then he reached into the anticles of, of, of that African-American Negro spiritual. And he said, he said, if I can help somebody. Isn't that it? Isn't that God's purpose? As I pass along, 
if I can cheer someone with a word or a song, then my living will not be in Here's, 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 here's where I end. That's what guides me. When my life is over on this planet and my story has been written, I do not want my living to be in vain. And so I've concluded the best way to guard against that is to make sure that I'm a part of God's story connected to God. And listen, let me just conclude here. Sometimes doing what God says means that you're going to wake up and all your friends done backed away. Sometimes doing what God says means you're going to wake up and you're going to lose a job that you actually love. Sometimes doing what God says tells you to run towards the storm rather than away from the storm. Uh, but, but that's all right. Come on now. It is far better to serve a God who's connected to eternal success than to serve people in right now success. So that's what we try to do every Sunday. I'm just saying become a part of God's story. And don't let your living be in vain. Give God a hand of praise.